Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. I want to start the podcast today by announcing that I'm putting the NBA Big Board podcast on hold indefinitely. Over the past 15 years, I've spent most of my time as a conflict mediator trying to bridge divides and heal wounds both here in the United States and abroad. I I originally left my full-time job at ESPN.com in 2005 to work as a full-time conflict resolution professor and mediator, and since then, the draft has always been a a part-time thing for me. I love it. Helping people transform conflict in their personal lives and in their communities has always been my passion. Today, more than ever, that's the case. I want to be more than a voice for justice and peace. I want to be part of the solution. And given the events of the past few weeks and months, I just don't believe I have the time, the focus, uh, nor the energy to be engaged the way I want to be engaged and do a quality NBA draft podcast. While I am just one person, I I feel strongly that I need to focus all of my time and my attention trying to help be a force for good in the conflicts that divide our homes, communities, and country. I love basketball. I believe in sports, even sports journalism and entertainment, and believe it can play a big role in helping solve the problems that we face as a country and as humanity. And I want you to know I will continue to work in this space with organizations like Peace Players who are working in Baltimore, Brooklyn, Detroit, Chicago, and LA, advocating for the same change that so many people around the world are marching in the streets for. I I don't know when or if I'll return to the draft and NBA Twitter. It could be a few months, a few years. I don't know, maybe never. If this is the end, I just want to say that I've loved being part of the NBA family for the past 24 years. It is so uh, difficult to say goodbye. And I want to thank everyone who has been a reader, a listener, editor, or colleague over these past 24 years, giving me a chance to share my insights with the world. I deeply appreciate the friendships and experiences I've made along the way. I'm especially grateful to David Locke and the Locked On Network for giving me this platform to talk about the draft and for being exceedingly understanding with my decision to take a leave. I also want to thank my guests, Mark Stein, Bill Simmons, Kevin O'Connor, Fran Fraschillo, Ryan Rossillo, and of course, John Hollinger. I've admired John for years for not only the way he looks at and analyzes the game, but for what he stands for. So I'm proud to have him on the pod one last time to finish up our NBA redrafts. We're going to do the 2012. John, aloha. Aloha and mahalo for all you've done for us uh, draft observers and, and readers uh, over these last two decades, Chad. And, you know, it's a, it's for me, it's good news, bad news, right? As a, As a friend, I'm so happy for you that you can go embark on this journey and you have this opportunity in front of you to make an impact in, in a space that is so 
meaningful for you and has been such an important part of your life. Um, and as a basketball fan, selfishly, of course, uh, we're, we're going to miss you because uh, what you've done on this end has been so valuable and informative and entertaining. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's a mixed kind of a bitter, bittersweet moment, right? So uh, I just, but, you know, as, as a basketball fan and reader and listener over, over all these years, uh, just so much appreciation for all the work you've put in uh, on, on the draft and the amount of information and entertainment you've given everybody. Thanks, John. That, that means a lot. Let's roll up our sleeves and dive into the 2012 NBA redraft. Today, 2012 draft. Very exciting draft because there was a known elite franchise-changing player at the top of this draft that had everyone excited about getting the number one pick. And then after that, this draft, like a lot of drafts, started to have lots of questions and there was a lot of polarization around who guys were taking. But it's rare that, you know, maybe there's two to three drafts a decade where there's a clear number one guy coming in and a guy that just projects immediately as a potential Hall of Famer, and that was Anthony Davis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the, just at the time of the draft, probably one of the top five guys in the last 30 years, right? In terms of everyone just knowing right away. People, I mean, people knew in January that like this guy is definitely the number one pick. Nobody is even close to him. Whoever wins the lottery is absolutely 100% taking Get in, Getting a franchise player. And the team that won the lottery was the New Orleans Hornets. They have this tendency to get these guys, and then you wonder if they're going to be able to keep them, right? Chris Paul, when they drafted, will they be able to keep Chris Paul? Anthony Davis, now Zion Williamson. Uh, they weren't able to keep Anthony Davis. But he was great while he was there. He was the number one pick in the draft for New Orleans. Let's recap what happened in 2012. The Hornets, no surprise. Took Anthony Davis, number one, consensus number one on every big board in the league. Charlotte was on the board at number two. Took his teammate, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, out of Kentucky. Kentucky had a awesome, awesome basketball team this year. And it was just a joy to watch this team and the way they played together. And Kidd Gilchrist was a big part of that. At three, Washington selected Bradley Beal out of Florida. At four... Cleveland selected Dion Waiters out of Syracuse. One of a history of a bit of surprise picks for Cleveland. Cleveland has a way of surprising us at the top of the draft. Uh, yes. And Dion Waiters yeah. was a surprise pick there. Yes, he was. At number four, the Sacramento Kings took Thomas Robinson out of Kansas. Pains me. Kansas, Kansas guy and picked by the Kings. I mean, you talked about no, no hope pick right oh, there. Oh, my gosh. And and I'm a Kansas homer, and I I didn't totally know about Thomas Robinson. We'll talk about Thomas Robinson. That was a that was a questionable one. Um, I love Kansas guys, and I did like Thomas Robinson. But man, uh, at six, the Portland Trailblazers selected Damian Lillard out of Weber State. We'll talk about Damian Lillard a lot, I think, today. At seven, the Golden State Warriors selected Harrison Barnes out of North Carolina, a guy that preseason was like yeah. right there with Davis for the number one pick in the draft was that was that actually I believe Barnes might may have been the top ranked high school player 
in the country out of that class, not Davis, um, interestingly enough. At eight, Toronto selected Terrence Ross out of Washington. At nine, Detroit selected Andre Drummond out of UConn. Drummond also a very, very highly ranked high school prospect who was probably coming into the start of the draft season, like projected top three guy. At 10, New Orleans selects Austin Rivers out of Duke, was a polarizing prospect his freshman year at Duke, polarizing prospect in the draft. I'm sure we'll talk about Austin Rivers at some point. At 11, Portland selected Myers Leonard out of Illinois. At 12, the Rockets selected Jeremy Lamb out of UConn. Phoenix, at 13, selects Kendall Marshall out of North Carolina. Yikes. And at 14, Milwaukee select John Henson out of North Carolina. So that's that's the lottery. Certainly not as disastrous as the one that we talked about last time uh, with the 2006 NBA draft. I've got the first pick in the draft. This is easy. The Hornets, even if you're going to lose him later to the Lakers, select Anthony Davis. And, and Anthony Davis' story was really cool because I think one of the reasons he he wasn't the consensus like number one high school player was he was a real late bloomer. He went through a huge growth spurt his junior year of high school, and so he was a he was a um, a, a point guard uh, essentially before he just grows and it's it's ridiculous. I can't totally remember the story, but it was like something like six seven inches in like in like one year. His mom was like having to go out and buying new clothes like multiple times and new shoes because he kept growing. And so Davis was growing into the size of an NBA power forward or center, but still had a lot of game on the perimeter and could handle the ball and could do a lot of things that a point guard does as well. And that was and there was the appeal, right? The 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 size and defensive ability to play the four or the five in the league but with that offense adaptability to do multiple things on offense, he was really great his freshman season at Kentucky, though he wasn't like the most dominant player in college basketball uh, as a, as a rookie, but that's often the case at players at Kentucky because they're playing with such stacked teams and they're sharing the ball. He averaged 14.2 points a game, 10.4 rebounds a game at Kentucky. Interestingly, uh, this is another example of a Kentucky player then coming to the NBA and not coming anywhere really near those numbers for the rest of his career. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome team Kentucky had that year. National champions. Mind-blowingly fun to watch. And they, they, the team actually got along really well with each other as well. And that was just another thing. There was a lot of camaraderie there. He's made the all-star team every year, but his rookie year. What makes Anthony Davis so special? Well, he's just... Uh, a uh, freak athlete at his size. I mean, such a tremendous lob threat, tremendous rebounder, but has some skill to him on the ball. He can shoot. He can stretch out to the three-point line if he has to. Has some low post game, can really punish switches. Uh, just a just an all-weather player. I mean, he's just so good in so many areas uh, that that's what makes him a, a perennial first or second team All-NBA guy. Has he been a slight disappointment? in that there was a way to project him that by now he was going to be a top two or three player in the league, maybe even 
have the or, potential to be the yeah. best player in the league. And he hasn't quite cracked that. You're what you're wondering when you get a pick like that, if you can get a top 20 player of all time out of it or something like that. And he hasn't been that he he's not hasn't quite been at that level defensively, especially in the New Orleans years. He was better this year with the Lakers and then the injuries. I mean, he missed a lot of time. And, and so that's been a factor, too. He uh, has played 75 games in two seasons. There's his uh, when he was 23 and 24. 56, 61, 68, 67, 64. There have been some nagging injuries that have that have affected um, his game as well. He's still 26 years old. And he's finally playing on a championship caliber team with LeBron James. And uh, it would be really interesting to see how continuing that changes how people look at him in his career when he starts has the potential to start winning championships. That was a tough part of playing in New Orleans. Okay. Now things open up a little more. It's the number two pick in the draft. I think this one's pretty sure where you're going to go with this, but uh, you tell us who do you got at number two? If you're Charlotte, I'll give you two surprises with this player. One, Anthony Davis was not the 2013 rookie of the year. It was this guy. Second surprise with this guy, did you know he has never shot 40% from three in a season in the NBA? I did not know that. Uh, and th- this player is Damian Lillard. Uh, obviously, an amazing shooter, uh, amazing scorer, good point guard, distributor, hand, ball handler, and more of a gutsy pick than people remember. I mean, he played, he was at a small college at Weber State. He was an older player, right? He was a senior, mm-hmm. which... It's rare to see a senior taken in the lottery these days. Let alone, and they let alone number six. Yeah. Let alone at six. Right. And so, I mean, Portland took a swing here and to their credit, I mean, they knocked it out of the park and it was obvious right away that, that this guy was going to be their point guard for a long time. Just an elite, elite shooter. Uh, he's been in the high thirties most years, even though he doesn't quite make 40, but he also takes incredibly difficult ones off the dribble deep range so that just the threat of his shot i think is such a weapon that it opens up a lot of other things and he's just every year just adds something with his handle and his skill uh to to go at defenses in different way and really uh even at 29 he still seems to be on kind of an upward trajectory i mean this january of this year was probably the best he'd ever played you're right, and you you said he didn't crack forty percent, but he got very very close this year at thirty nine point four percent. And I think one of the things that you have to credit in for Lillard is that he's not just doing a lot of catch and shooting uh, with three; like he's creating his own shot, and that makes the 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 level of difficulty in the threes that he takes um, considerably harder. I, I will say this about Lillard. There was there was concern about him as well, and people forget his junior year he was he was injured, and only played ten games for Weber State as well. And so you know he came back that that senior season and exploded, had had a really great great year. But as you pointed out, seniors Weber State or what have you, the the single greatest workout I have ever witnessed was Damian Lillard in Oakland. And um, it was, uh, you know, this is the best way that I can describe it, John. If you've seen the movie Rocky three, 
And at, in the first training montage, when Rocky's now a star and, you know, he's out boxing at like the MGM and people are taking photographs of him and he's signing, signing autographs and, you know, he's, he's working, but he's, you know, he's doing his thing. And then it cuts back to Mr. T in like a basement somewhere grunting and, and just ferociously preparing for this boxing match. And you kind of know it's foreshadowing that Mr. T is going to come in and, and destroy Rocky, right? And yeah. that was Damian Lillard in the workout. He was possessed. And his trainer did this thing. I've never seen anybody else do it. He would tie this rope around his waist and then it would be like a long bungee cord. And Damian Lillard had to drive to the basket and dunk the ball 10 times while his trainer was yanking on the cord. And Damian Lillard was having to fight and keep his dribble and elevate and and wow. dunk the ball 10 times. I mean, it was uh -huh. grueling, and it wasn't just for me. Uh, the Jazz were there. Bob Myers from the Warriors was there. Kevin O'Connor, uh, the general manager for the Jazz. We're all sitting there, and we're looking at each other, and we're like, you know, normally when agents like schedule workouts like this, it's, you know, how do I position my player to look great and not, not do anything too hard? We've never – I mean, his trainer was trying to kill Damian Lillard, and Damian Lillard was just killing – right back and and after he was done i was just like blown away with the intensity the athleticism just the the strength he sits down and gives me like one of the world's greatest interviews but like a mr t interview like stone cold face i'm gonna kill everybody in the nba uh <laughs> everybody's not, not not is counting me out i am going to destroy them i'm working like this every single day I'm going to be ready when I come in the league. I know how good guys are in the league. He comes in the league, wins rookie of the year, 19 points a game, and and I was sold. He moved up. He, it's one of the few workouts because I got burned with Darko and some other people in workouts and had gotten leery of it. It was one of those few workouts yeah. later in my draft career when I'm like I'm I'm just I'm just sold, and uh, the Jazz were sold uh, at the time. Uh, they tried to move up and get him uh, in the draft. The Warriors were sold, they would have selected Damian Lillard at seven had he fallen just one more spot in the draft. And he's just turned out to be every bit the warrior that he showed in those workouts. To the to, to the point, in, in my opinion, where while he has not had the career of Anthony Davis, he's, it's kind of close. It is, it is. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because, I mean, Lillard's a few years older too now, so... Um, how these next few years go could tilt things a lot more For, in Davis's yeah. favor, depending. But it's it's interesting. I mean, if you just compare complete career accomplishments to date, it actually is really close, right? So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these next few years go. Okay, number three, the Wizards. I'm going to give them who they selected. Bradley Beal out of Florida who is coming off a torrid campaign at 26 years old where he averaged 30 points a game this year for a very bad Wizards team. He was the guy that um, had to carry the load, but did it while still shooting 35% from three, 45% from the field. He averaged a career high this season of 6.1 assists a game as well. And that's been a, a big development in his game. Every year, those assists are ticking up and up and up. 
He's kept working at his game. There was questions whether he was an undersized two coming into the game. He he definitely was labeled as a shooter uh, coming coming into the draft. But you know, if you looked at his season at Florida, he shot like thirty three percent from three, and so you know there were some questions about how good he was going to be in the NBA. It was a little bit slower going for him, unlike Lillard, who just like came on the scene and burst burst upon it. He averaged thirteen point nine points a game. His rookie season has just gotten better and better, and the last two years has really taken off and shaken off some of those injury concerns that he had earlier in his career as well. And and still only twenty six years old. Uh, my my man needs to try a little harder on defense, I think. But uh, certainly when he's when he's locked in and when he was on those Wizards playoff teams, this was less of an issue than it was this year. But. Yeah, I mean, but certainly it has a real chance these next in this window of the next few three or four years to make an All NBA team or two. Yep, two-time All Star Bradley Bill just continues to improve. He's my selection at number three, and part of that again is at 26 years old. I still think there's room to grow here. You've got the Cavs at four. They took Dion Waiters. No. Yeah. No. 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 no Imagine no, no, if no. they. Yeah. <laughs> that was a no. No. Yeah, no. No on draft night. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, imagine if they had taken this guy instead. Uh, Draymond Green. Defensive player of the year, five-time all-defense. I mean, just a peak Draymond Green was just a force of nature for those Golden State teams that Cleveland, unfortunately, had to face in the finals four years in a row. So uh, he was he was only the 35th pick. A lot of people were down on him. He was heavy at Michigan State. They didn't know what position he could play. He was like a six 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 guy, but like you said, out of shape, not particularly athletic. What was yeah exactly what was going to be in the league? And I don't think anyone would have guessed the answer would be because he was on the Warriors center, <laughs> right? Like that's that's essentially what he the role he plays for Golden State uh, much of the time. He's one of these guys, and and I. And some people have pushed back on me on saying this. You know, you talk about fit in the NBA and and needing to be with a team that values what you do and that you're going to fit with the way that the team wants to play. Draymond Green, in that regard, landed on the perfect team for him. He did, although it took a couple of years because they, at first they were trying to play him at the three and have him be like a defensive guy against threes maybe and... I think they didn't really know what they had until David Lee got injured at the start of that 2014 season. He makes an all-star team three years in a row, 25, when he's 25, 26, 27. What happened this year? It's a bad Warriors team, but he wasn't very good. No, he was not. And I mean, you could see that he was starting to slip physically last season. So I think the fact that this was a hopeless year from the get-go just accelerated that. It kind of cooled off his motor. And because of those two things, yeah, I mean, he was not good this year, and he's 30 years old. So there's some concerns about where where this graph is heading. And it's going to be interesting to see with a reconstituted Warriors team next year that should have Stephen Clay back on the court. Uh, what version of Draymond Green we get? Yeah, this is this is where there are some concerns about where you put him because where that trajectory might be heading. Because it wasn't like his 2018-19 season was also like up to Draymond Green par. There is a little bit of concern that he may have kind of peaked. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. I'd still, I mean, at this point though, I mean, his peak value is still, uh, you know, that peak version of him from 15 to 18, that's better than anyone else in this draft is ever giving you. All right. Five to the Kings. They select Thomas Robinson out of Kansas. I think there was a better big man on the board and I'm going to give them Andre Drummond. Yeah. Here at five. And Drummond is the guy that I, I ended up having green for as well, but he was the guy that I was thinking a little bit about because of the age, uh, because the trajectory of his career, obviously he is an elite rebounder has led the league in rebounding four years in the league. And, and one year that was 16 rebounds a game as a 24 year old with, with Detroit has improved offensively throughout his career Traded to Cleveland, only played eight games for Cleveland, so we don't really know, and I don't totally even know about that fit in Cleveland and, and what exactly the Cavs were thinking, but I think Detroit was deeply worried about being able to re-sign Andre Drummond. Mm-hmm. He was a really polarizing prospect in this draft because the physical tools were clearly there for this guy all the way since high school, but he had a knock on him in high school even that he was sort of a disinterested player that he didn't. Oh, you hear that you, and you still hear it. I mean, that never went away. He, <laughs> even after he's getting 2020 20 games, he's stuff. getting 2020. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. that was totally, but that was totally out there. Yeah. At the time. And it was, wasn't a great season at UConn. Either. No, he averaged 10, 10 points and seven rebounds a game. And given his physical profile, that almost seems hard to believe. At, at UConn, especially given what he's done in the NBA as a rebounder, uh, that he was only averaging seven rebounds a game at UConn. And when you watched him work out, it, it was another guy that I went into the workout. He he saw himself as Kevin Durant is what he told me. Like that's the sort of the like who he was connecting with as a player when that wasn't his skill set at all. And a guy that I had a lot of concerns was not going to play to his strengths in the NBA, was going to be one of these guys that was going to go out there and try to turn himself into a perimeter big, which I get it. A lot of a lot of bigs, that's what they want uh, to do. It just didn't seem like that was really in 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 his future. I mean, he he is taking, you know, 30 to 40 threes a game uh, now in his career, but he's certainly not not hitting them with any regularity. And and I'll say that I could not have seen for a scene that, you know, his rookie season, seven rebounds a game, that he was going to explode to be the league's best rebounder. I, I would never have seen that that coming, and that's where he was going to embrace and where he was going to really hang his hat as a player. And still has yet to turn 27 years old. It, it feels like he's 35, right? right? It's it's incredible. And it's really hard. Like, I, I still, you're right. You still hear this disinterested thing. Can you average 16 rebounds a game in the NBA and be disinterested? Well, being disinterested and not playing hard. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's usually yeah, like, exactly. it's usually like one of those statistics that is, is like evidence of hustle and, and motor and hard work, right? You're crashing the boards. Yeah. Just a little bit of an enigma. It was always an enigma to me in the draft. Like, he still as a player is a bit of an enigma to me. I think to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stop you for a second. I'm going to have a built bar. Got a ton of options here, but I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go with the raspberry chocolate cream. 
Uh, first of all, the bar tastes great. It's creamy. It's soft. It essentially tastes like I'm eating a piece of C's candy, but it's low in sugar. It's got high protein. It's it's an energy bar. It's it's not a candy bar. It just it just tastes like one. I've actually been using them for the past few weeks for a boost of my energy and protein after like long runs. But I also think they hit the spot after talking about the NBA draft and there's no high sugar content or chalky bad taste left in my mouth. And in other words, it's the opposite of a David Kahn draft. Well, okay. Almost done. I'm tempted to do one more. It's that whole bar of deliciousness set me back uh, 110 calories. Now I'm eyeing a peanut butter brownie. Okay, so the cool thing is that on their website, they let you mix and match the bars you want in any combination. So everyone gets their favorite. And all right, look, I know we need to get back to the 2020 NBA draft. So here's the deal. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Locked On, $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Next time we can take a little break together and you can enjoy your Built Bar while I enjoy mine. I want to talk about our new sponsor, RockAuto.com. It's a family business. It's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years and If you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Okay, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are back with picks six through ten on the next segment with John Hollinger. John, we've got Anthony Davis off the board, Damian Lillard off the board, Bradley Beal off the board, Draymond Green off the board, Andre Drummond off the board. That's a really good top five. Uh, There's still an all-star. Yep, I was going to say, it's about to be a really good top six. And we, we, since, we don't, since we don't say this often, what a draft by the Pistons, huh? They get Andre Drummond at nine, and they get this guy, Chris Middleton, at 39, and then 
put him in as a throw-in in the trade for Brandon Knight a couple years later so they don't get the payoff from it. Uh, but my pick here is Chris Middleton, all-star forward for the Bucks. Obviously had his best season by far this year. Just a, a perfect player for the modern game. Where, you know, Wing players are so valuable, especially when they can shoot and make plays with the ball. And he does. He checks both those boxes. And it's really interesting because he's another guy who his 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 draft year he didn't play great at, at Texas A and M. And he was uh, he came out after his junior year at A and M. Uh, he had had a good sophomore year, kind of got some hype, and then that hype kind of went away. And he just stayed in the draft anyway. And Detroit took him at thirty nine. Yeah, and you know what? One of the knocks on Middleton was that he had this mid-range game in college, but he was not a good three-point shooter in college. His his junior year, he shot 26% from three and 32% as a freshman. He, he got it up to 36% that you would see him become what he become and be able to stretch his game. And I think that was the sort of knock on him. Is he going to be a guy who is playing the mid-range with the game already and it certainly has evolved even more and more to a three-point game and and taking away those mid-range shots. It, and, you know, his rookie season at Detroit, he shoots 31% from three. Yeah. And then, and then he could- boom, right, with Milwaukee, 41% his next year, 41% the year after that, and uh, has been an elite three-point shooter and scorer uh, throughout uh, his career ever since. This is one thing where he developed part of his game that was a bit of a question mark early on uh, in his career. And then developed some pieces to go along with that, too, because he, he's gotten better not just at mid-range, but at posting up against switches and shooting the mid-range over the guy and uh, finding other teammates, you know, when, he, when, he, when, when they collapse on him. And yeah, that he's averages four assists a game. Round- yeah. yeah, just rounded out his whole game really nicely. All right. One of those guys that you kind of understood why they slipped in the draft, frankly, dramatically overperformed here. Well, there's a drop off now, right? <laughs> Our all stars are are done. And and now we're going to start talking about, you know, just good starters on teams. And, and this is where I'm going to leave. Uh, the Warriors are uh, picking here at seven and I'm going to leave them with Harrison Barnes. I think that's the right call. And Harrison Barnes, another one of those players that just you wanted him to be better than he was. When you watched him in high school, you could see all the potential there. He's turned out to be a scorer in the league, but not much else and not necessarily the most efficient of scores. Okay, John, what do you think about the Harrison Barnes pick? Yeah, just not not really great on the ball, not great feel. Good standstill shooter. Uh, I think that's probably his best thing. Pretty good defender, especially against fours. Uh, not as much against threes, and I think that's what teams really want him to be is like a starting three, and I'm, I'm not sure that's really his best role. I think he's actually better playing fours, even though he's not like a great rebounder either, but I think that's probably his best fit. But always a little in between those two spots. Uh, managed to win a championship in, in Golden State, although I wouldn't say he was like a crucial part of those teams. I mean, he did shoot 40% from three in 2015 and started all 82 games. So he, he played some role in it. And it's kind of been just doing the same thing. He never, he never went up another level from there. You're the Raptors. You're at eight. They took Terrence Ross here. Who would you select 
at number eight? Well, I will, I will select a current Orlando player. It's the guy who starts ahead of Terrence Ross, and that is Evan Fournier, uh, coming off a career year this year in Orlando, but has averaged over 15 points a game for, uh, I think this is the fifth year in a row. Uh, yeah, and shoots 40% from three this year. Obviously, age 27, this may end up being the best year of his career, but has been a good, reliable scoring weapon for uh, you know, a good half a decade now. Really a nice deal by Orlando to get him from Denver when he was still a young player coming up. Right, and one thing that you can you can say about Fournier is that each year it, uh, he's he's improved, and then he took a he took a leap this year. I mean, he he really did from his best year maybe in 2017-18. Seems to stepped it up a notch, and and part of that has been the three point shooting, forty one percent this year, taking almost seven threes a game. Yeah, and just a little more dangerous on the ball too. More of a more of a primary offensive weapon than he's been in the past for an Orlando team that that needed him to be that because uh, they don't have a lot of other weapons there, and uh, just really had himself a nice year. And we'll we'll see how it ends up. I mean, he could become a free agent this summer and get a nice chunk of change. Okay, it's the Detroit Pistons on the clock at nine. I'm going to give them a player taken in the second round who has I'm not sure that you know he's necessarily an elite starter in the league but he has started for some teams and and done done great especially in his Boston years Jay Crowder out of uh out of Marquette and that one of these guys that just maybe the the stat line doesn't tell you everything about the intensity that Crowder plays, his ability to guard multiple positions, and you know the fact that for a couple of seasons in in Boston he was really, really good, and I, and I think he was he was good in Utah uh, when he was there for them as well. He was. I mean, he went down a level when he injured his knee uh, in the in that playoff series for Boston, and so that really forced him to become more of a four and less than a three. Uh, I know he played three in Memphis this year, but I still think he's a li- He's definitely slower now and is more comfortable playing more as, as a stretch four because of that. Uh, but it, in those yes, yes, Boston, in Boston, especially, I mean, Dallas, including him in the trade for Rondo. Uh, I mean, that trade was a mistake on multiple levels, but just doing Crowder for Rondo on its own was a mistake. Crowder was a better player and Dallas had him sitting on at the end of their roster and didn't really appreciate that, I think. And, uh, you know, Boston ended up profiting hugely, obviously. And, yeah, Crowder's just had himself a nice career, and he's, uh, you know, he's another guy who's going to be a free agent, probably sign somewhere and, and be a key piece again next year. Uh, the Pelicans selected Austin Rivers. I'm guessing that that will not be your selection at 10. That will not be the selection. No, at number ten here, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Jeremy Lamb, who got off to a slow start in Oklahoma City. I think he was kind of underappreciated there. It was tough. They were, you know, they had Westbrook and Durant. They were under pressure to rent, win right away. Never really got his footing there. Then had a really nice stretch for Charlotte. Was an important part of some good playoff teams. Uh, went to Indiana this year. And it's still, you know, he's still producing. He's still basically at more or less his peak. So uh, could have a few good years left still. One of those guys that, you know, came on the heels of Kemba Walker and 
was never quite sure exactly how his game was going to translate at, at the NBA level, you know, lack of strength and just, just the way that he played his game at UConn. And he's Turn, turned off some people too with kind of the, he tends to like float through yeah. games a little bit. Like he's not, he's not one of those guys where you're like, oh, he eats nails yeah, for yeah, breakfast. The toughness, so. the little bit, the little bit of the sleepy look uh, that, that he brings yeah. to, to it. There was a lot of questions about his intensity, but he's, He's hung in the league and had a lot, had a, had a really nice career. Okay. Well, let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, the history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA. Listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on Locked On Podcast Network. We just got done selecting the top 10 picks in the draft. We are now on picks 11 through 14, redrafting the 2012 NBA lottery with John Hollinger. The Blazers are on the board at 11. They took Myers Leonard out of Illinois, who's been okay. Uh, it's not yeah. going to be my selection here, but, he, but, nah, but he's been okay. Nah. I'm going to go with Terrence Ross. You know, this was a back and forth, fourth one for me. He starts his career at Toronto, is is okay, gets to Orlando, comes off the bench, and the last couple of years coming off the bench for Orlando actually have been his highest scoring output uh, any time in his career, uh, is is a good three-point shooter. He's He's a guy who is going to put the ball in the bucket. And not necessarily going to give you a lot else. Won a 
Won a slam dunk contest. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that. You know, I think he's going to be a guy who stays in the league quite a while too. Just these guys who can be volume three point shooters. There's always a role for them because with him, it's not just that he's a good shooter, but that he can jump and he's tall. He's able to get his shot off without much time or space, uh, run into them, dribble into them. And so for that reason, he's really a, a very good floor spacing weapon that teams are going to want. So I, I do, I do think he's going to be one of those guys who ends up playing until he's 35. And, and I think he's now in the right role, right? Coming off the bench and doing what he does. I think, I think they've, he's now cast yeah. in the right role. He, he's not necessarily what Toronto thought he could be uh, coming into this draft, which has him slide just a couple of spots from eight. But I think he's found a role as a, as a really microwave scorer coming off the bench six man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what he, he's, he's not three and D you saw the athleticism in college and thought he'd be three and D that ju- we'll just worry about the three, the three part now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The Rockets exactly. are on the board at 12. Who do you got? So what I got here, I just want to tip my hat here. What a second round, especially the top half of the second round. Uh, you had Thomas Sadoransky at 32, Jay Crowder, 34, Draymond Green at 35, uh, Quincy Acey, who played seven years in the league at 37, Chris Middleton at 39, and then at 40, this guy, Will Barton, who was basically at the end of the Blazers' bench for two years. They trade him uh, in 2015 uh, for Aaron Aflalo, which uh, was a, a mistake uh, sort of similar to that Crowder trade. Um, it was funny. All of us were, were in this huge race for the, for the Western Conference that year. Uh, we traded our first for, for Jeff Green, which didn't work out great. They made the Aflalo trade. Dallas made the Rondo trade. Every, everyone ended up hurting themselves with their trades, basically, uh, to, trying to catch Golden State. So, uh, But Will Barton's had a really nice career. I thought he had the best year of his career this year in Denver. Really stepped up his game defensively, which we hadn't seen a lot from him before. Good player on the ball. Very thin frame, uh, but is able to get to the basket and take a hit and still finish. So... He's turned out to be a really nice player with the 40th. And Barton was a guy that out of Memphis, the talent was clear. Lots of kind of questions about how committed he was going to be to the game. Maybe, you know, some some red flags that were out there on the intel um, with him that I think gave teams pause because he, he was really good at Memphis, uh, especially his sophomore year where he averaged 18 points and eight, eight rebounds a game. And so the talent, I think, was always there. It was whether he was going to put in the work, some of those other question marks that come in uh, when teams are doing all their background work with with players. And he's just really exceeded everybody's expectations. He's worked really hard. He's improved his game. And and he's been really good uh, for Denver the last couple of years. I am in total agreement with that. Okay, 13. It's the Phoenix Suns. It gets a little harder now, in my opinion. Uh, that this was there was a, there was another kind of tier that went off here, and and I struggled with this, and and I think that there could be some bias coming into who I'm going to select next. It's it's a player that I I loved him in high school. I loved him coming into the draft. He never became anything like what I had hoped he would become, but I'm still looking at Michael Kidd Gilchrist here, at at 13. Okay. Sure. Defensively, 
We knew what he could do. The question always was on the offensive end. He got almost all of his points at Kentucky out in transition, uh, where he was an incredible finisher uh, out on the break. But we knew he had a massively hitchy jump shot uh, that was going to be problematic at the next level. And it never it never really materialized. He never really fixed his game. His, you know, this was a guy that gets drafted for those intangibles, right? He's a winner. If you remember, Calipari praised him up and down for being kind of the team leader on that Kentucky team. He did something called the Breakfast Club. He motivated people. He was a winner. He was a winner in high school. He was a hard worker. Background check was sparkling clean with killed Kid Gilchrist. And, and one of these guys that, the winning thing matters, and it, you can still see it in Kid Gilchrist's game, but there just wasn't enough there on the offensive end for him to warrant the number two pick and maybe more like 13, and maybe the expectations would have been really different for him if he'd gone a little later in the draft. Yeah, yeah, and the league evolved away from him too. Uh, so my one, uh, my one uh, Kid Gilchrist story is... Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies probably have Dylan Brooks now because of Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Uh, when he got injured for the second time that year in that 16th season, it was right after Marcus had broke his foot for us. And uh, we, we knew our season was basically over at that point, And Courtney Lee was going to be a free agent. So we called Charlotte um, and asked them if they were interested in, in doing a trade that was get us some assets. Uh, and they ended up giving us two seconds. And then we got another second from Miami because we saved them some, some money by making a three team trade. So anyway, that trade got us the pick that turned out to be Dylan Brooks uh, a couple years later. And so Michael Kidd Gilchrist in a roundabout way is the reason that Dylan Brooks is now a Memphis Grizzly. And as we know, Dylan Brooks, the single most important figure in Memphis Grizzly history. <laughs> <laughs> John with a victory lap, like, now he skipped a week, but now he's back with another Dylan Brooks victory lap. <laughs> I have to mention him somehow on, on uh, every pod we do. It's uh, the, the Dylan Brooks drinking game with John Hollinger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. At 14, the Milwaukee Bucks, Bucks selected John Henson, who's had a solid, solid career. Yeah. Who do you got? So... Henson would be a fair pick here. I think there's one guy who actually went one pick after him who's, who's been a little better, and that is Maurice Harkless. Uh, just a good, solid uh, player, starter for multiple years in Portland. And I think those guys who can play 3-4 are just more valuable than bigs. So that's why I took him ahead of like John Henson or Kylo Quinn is another guy I could have taken here. Jamichael Green, undrafted, is another guy I could have taken here. But I went with Harkless because of his uh, positional value. And one of these guys that you know that I think the thinking was if he could ever evolve into a consistent shooter, uh, it was it was going to be big for his game. But he talk about a strange three point percentage, forty one percent one year, twenty seven percent the next year, thirty five percent the next year, then down to twenty eight percent, all over the place, seventeen percent one year. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because he, you know, he came out after just the one year at St. John's, and he was really a guy people were projecting ahead on, right? Exactly. It wasn't that he was a dominant college. No, no, player. he's he's 18 years old. He had a good season. Was an excellent rebounder. 
uh, that year. Shot 21% from three. That was the question mark, right, about what position he played and and whether he's going to be able to shoot the basketball. And has it has had a nice career. That's that's also high at 14 on my board as well. All right, it's CSI time. What happened? All we right. have some fun fun guys to talk about here. We talked about Michael Kidd Gilchrist a little bit and what happened there. Dion Waiters. What's going on with Dion Waiters? So certainly a lottery talent, right? And I think there are always the questions in the, about the background and uh, some of the character stuff with him. And then a little bit too, as a small as a smaller guard, was he really like a playmaker for other people or was he just a guy who was playing as a scorer at the end of the day? And could he be efficient enough as a scorer for that really to matter? He has a couple of seasons where he averages 16 points a game. When he gets hot, he can get red hot. It also seems like that that sort of tunnel vision in his game was a was a was a big part of this, right? There's a, there's one thing that Dion Waiters does, and there's only one thing that Dion Waiters is really interested in doing. Yeah, and he just doesn't do it at a high enough level to really push your team up. It was an interesting pick. There was a lot of question marks coming out of Syracuse. There was a number of worries about what he was going to be and it wasn't like he like set the world on fire at Syracuse averaged six points a game his freshman season 12 points a game his sophomore season this was enough came off the bench yeah this was a guy that was a bit of a workout wonder I think he came in with a lot of intensity got hot in a lot of workouts clearly the Cavs fell in love with him he doesn't make our top 14 though you know, he, he maybe could have Thomas Robinson. And don't say because he was from Kansas. You like use that joke too often. You got to got to come up with something. No, it's because he was drafted okay. by the Kings. Uh, we've also <laughs> used that? that joke a lot. <laughs> have we used that, used one that one yet? One, what happened with Thomas Robinson? Crazy rebounder who just never had anything else going for him and never really was able to uh, establish it. Uh, like what was his plus thing defensively? Was he better guarding fives, guarding fours? Could he be a rim protector? I think almost all those answers ended up no. And then offensively, what was he going to give you other than putbacks? You know, he starts coming off the bench his first two years at Kansas and was exciting to come off the bench, especially that se- second season, sophomore season. You loved it when Thomas Robinson ga- came into the game. He gave you so much energy he was only averaging 14 minutes a game, but was still averaging six boards a game. Like he could, he could board his, and then as a C, a junior at Kansas, he takes off he averages 17 points a game, 12 rebounds a game for, for Kansas. And correct me if I'm wrong here, analytically, there was, there was some positive signals towards Thomas Robinson. Was that correct? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He, yeah. He was, he yeah. was. He was definitely a guy that, from an analytic standpoint, looked like he might be worthy of a top five pick in the draft. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, I've always felt that kind of beast ball bigs can dupe the system a little bit, and you have to be careful with that. Um, and I, I think he's one of the examples. There's been other, I mean, like Caleb Swanigan was the same thing, for example, uh, to, to use a different draft um, where it was more obvious to everyone. Uh, so, you know, there's that. I it just, especially like he was a little short too, right? He's six that, eight. That's six, what nine, I remember so. as well. Was that one of the things that started to raise question marks? Because he had he had the NBA body, and we also talk about the bias that sort of comes from from guys that just have a really great 
Oh, there's definite muscle bias. Yeah. But even with that said, it seems like his career just, he's still underperformed. You would think that if nothing else, yeah. Thomas Robinson could come off the bench and, and, and be a guy that could, you know, really be, if nothing else, like a great rebounder for you. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, and then once he didn't get traction in Sacramento, obviously, then he's part, part of a trade and Houston takes a look at him and did, you know, I think he was in Brooklyn for a while. Yeah. Just never, just never got any traction after that. Okay. Let's talk about Austin Rivers. Skip Bayless thought he should be the number two pick in the draft. He and Stephen A. Smith were really on me on first take about why I was disrespecting not only Austin Rivers, but Doc Rivers by not having him higher on my board. Always felt he was he was overrated coming out. I mean, didn't have a great freshman year at Duke. Uh, was overrated as a shooter, especially, I thought. And I think that played out as, as a pro where he's just been okay. Um and was really a kind of a two guard and a point guard's body. And so he's, I mean, he's managed to carve out a career. He had a year in LA where he averaged 15 points a game, uh, but he should not have been the 10th pick. And he did it playing for his dad. Well, that's true. He was able to take whatever shot he wanted on that, on that team too. They, they weren't, that was kind of the, the bottom right there before they started building it back up. And one of the things I went back and watched some of this video of me being, uh, ambushed on first take about Austin Rivers was skipping the clutch gene, and and Austin Rivers had hit oh, a couple of sh- big shots for Duke during his career, and then this association with well because his dad was a great player and a great coach, he's a coach's son, right? That all of that is somehow going to translate into NBA success. And I and I I don't know if anybody's done any analysis of it, but I find it very hard to believe that any of that would ever translate into anything like NBA success. I'm not sure any coach's son has played less like a coach's son than Austin Rivers. And clutch gene, do you believe that such a thing exists, John? Uh, I mean, certainly not in his case. Um, in general, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it exists the way these guys think it exists. Let me put it that way. I, I, it's it's a longer conversation that might deserve its own <laughs> separate treatment at some point. Yeah, and it, and it might actually be helpful to bring in like at least some of the things that I've seen about NFL quarterbacks and how this idea of pressure can either give you tunnel vision or in some people's cases, it actually time slows down for them. And there is some cognitive processing that happens with some individuals. Uh, in pressure where you might be able to interpret clutch gene out of something like that, that some people under pressure get tunnel vision almost to the point that they become blind and other people cognitively process pressure very differently. And maybe we could talk about that, but it's not a gene. Um, okay. Kendall Marshall out of UNC had a really yeah. good college he had, career. He had had a, he had had a good year at UNC, really good passer, I think there were always questions about the athleticism and man, did they bear out athletic ability, just general offensive ability, right? He wasn't, he wasn't much of a scorer, even, even in college averaged 6.2 points a game. And then, and then eight points a game when he was playing 33 minutes for UNC wasn't, was an awesome passer, old school guy. I think he was another guy like, like, in this case, like Michael Kidd Gilchrist, where he's a winner, he makes people better, 
He's old school. And yeah, he really, really struggled. And I think athleticism was the big issue uh, that kept him from thriving in the NBA. Only lasted four seasons, 160 games, and he was done. And I mean, they they knew right away, right? I mean, they declined his second year option. I want or his third year option after his first yeah, year. It was uh, it, it was really clear of everybody in the in this lottery. Uh, Marshall ended up having the worst career of of anybody that was there. Thomas Robinson was probably next, and. Uh, Again, sometimes athleticism matters. And we were talking last time about J.J. Barea. J.J. Barea doesn't really have that, but he makes it in the league. Kendall Marshall just couldn't couldn't turn the corner. Well, John, that's our redrafts. We've done every year from 2006 to the 2018 draft. I think maybe it was a little bit early to do the 2019. And just wanted to say that I've really enjoyed going on this journey. It's been instructive. I think it's helped me understand the draft a little bit better. And it's also just been a lot of fun. And I want to just say thank you for all of the energy and all, all the insight that you've brought to this process. Thanks, Chad. This has been great fun. And uh, mahalo for inviting me to join you on this. It's, it's been a, a real pleasure for me as well. Okay. So for the last time, at least for a while... You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha.